This morning's scripture, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for once again returning us to this passage. We pray, Father, that uh, we can heed your words that you spoke through Paul, that we can use them to apply in our lives each and every day, that may our hearts be found pure and full of love for each other. And Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of your spirit, and be glorifying unto you, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we are looking at the same passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. There's, there's actually a lot in these passages, and there was more to this. We'll probably be on this to some extent next week as well. There's a lot of gold in these few passages as we go through them, but I do want to go back and quickly recover some of the ground that we covered last week. And we have been looking at this overarching theme in the 13th chapter of Romans, and that theme that Paul gave us was to submit to the governing authorities. And then he tells us why he encourages us to submit to governing authorities, because God puts them in place. No matter who they are, no matter where it may be, God puts them in place. So when we submit to them, then we are in essence submitting to God. And he tells us that in so doing, we are to pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. We are to pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And we looked at that in great detail over the past few weeks. And we saw there was a distinction between paying taxes and revenue and paying honor and respect. You remember that? Because whenever we pay taxes or whenever we have a financial obligation, you pay it and that obligation is finished until the tax bills roll around next year, right? But in, in a sense, you pay it and it's done. It, it's, it's final. That obligation has been uh, paid in full, so to speak. However, it's a little different with respect to honor and respect. It's a little bit different. There's an ongoing obligation that we have to honor and respect or show honor and respect. And you recall that that was what Paul asked us to do. We honor and respect those that God puts in place. And why is that? Because he put them in place. So when we honor and respect them, no matter how much we disagree with them, when we show that honor and respect to them because they have been put in place by God, we are showing honor and respect to God. And we looked at that and we saw that verse 7 then naturally flows into verse 8, even though it's a new section. And if you look at your Bible, you'll see there's a breakup between verses 7 and 8. Not necessarily in agreement that that breakup should be there because it's a natural progression of Paul's thought process. So he flows into verse 8 and he tells us, Owe no one anything. We talked about a little bit last week about this misconception that people use this verse to say you should never borrow money. That's a side issue. It's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, He's saying, Pay your bills, give 
what is due to whomever it is due, whether it be taxes, revenue, respect, or honor. That's what he's encouraging us to do. So he tells us, don't owe anyone anything, but he makes an exception. And what is that exception? Love. Love. There is an ongoing, never-ending duty, obligation, or debt of love that we have. And so in verse 7, we had honor and respect, and that was ongoing and never-ending and continuous. And now we have love, and that is ongoing, never-ending and continuous. And Paul doesn't say except honor and respect and love. He just says love. And we looked at that, and we thought, how, why did Paul leave out honor and respect? Because, oh, Siri, that is an ongoing, never-ending duty, and he just points us to love. Because love has an umbrella effect. Love encompasses the honor and respect. If we have love, then we will show honor and respect. And so that's the whole idea that that Paul's giving us here. The debt of love is all-encompassing. It takes care of all of those other debts that are ongoing and never-ending and continual. Respect and honor naturally flow from a heart that's filled with love. And so that's what we're looking at, and that's what we looked at last week. We also talked about how loving each other wasn't just about those that are in these four walls. Loving each other wasn't just about loving Christians. Loving each other was a general principle to everyone. We are to love everyone, not just believers, believers and unbelievers alike. And that's the admonition that Paul gives us here. When we think of debts, when we think of obligations, we usually think that there is something we've gotten in return, don't we? It's usually what it is. If you have a debt at the bank, it's usually because you borrowed money. They've given you something. If you are indebted to somebody, it's because they've done, done something for you. So it, it's sort of a quid pro quo, quo type situation. They've done something and we need to pay them back or we're going to pay them back. But here we have, we have Paul talking about love being a debt. A debt that is owed to who? Everyone. Paul's talking about a debt that is owed to everyone. So how does that work? What has everyone done to us that we owe them the debt of love? Or that we are indebted to them to love them? In Luke 10, the Good Samaritan didn't know the guy that was needing help, did he? Didn't know him at all. So we we know and understand that the guy that the Good Samaritan helped had done nothing to the Good Samaritan so that he was indebted to stop and help him. But yet there was a debt that was owed. But it wasn't because of anything the guy that was receiving the help from the Good Samaritan had done. In fact, he didn't even know him. Yet he still stopped and he still rendered aid to him. How does our love for our enemies become an ongoing debt that we owe every day? How does our love for our enemies become an ongoing debt 
that we owe every day. There's another question that we should look at as well when we consider this notion of debt and love and and how they interact with each other. When we do something out of a sense of debt or owing, it demeans what they've given back to us or what they've given to us to begin with. Stop and think about that. If your wife does something nice for you and then you in turn attempt to repay it, you demean the first gift, right? If someone invites you out to eat and you insist on paying the bill, then you've stolen the gift that the giver wanted to give you. You've stolen some of the joy of being the giver. So this whole obligation and debt relationship can can get very tricky can be very difficult and we have to be careful that we don't fall into some of the pitfalls that we're looking at this morning the words of Christ in in Matthew 5:46 for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same it's easy to love those that love you first, right? That, that, that's the easy thing. You are paying them back because you got something good. What reward is that? And he says, even the most despised among the Jews are able to do that. Even the tax collectors are able to love those who love them. It's the next level that is the difficult. We know this. Anybody have folks that's hard to love? Yeah. Yeah. Just really tough sometimes. But that's the obligation that we have. And that's what Paul has encouraged us to do. So what does he mean when he says we owe each other the debt of love even if the receiver's done nothing to get it? He gives us some clues. Romans 1, 14 and 15. We covered this. We did. Not really sure. It's been a few years, but we did cover this. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So he says here that he is under an obligation. Same words, debt. Paul is indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians. He's indebted to everybody. Everybody in the world at that time, Paul was indebted to. He was indebted to them to share the love of the gospel, to preach to them the gospel and those that were also in Rome. What did those people, what did these people do to deserve this if I owe you a debt to preach the gospel to you then in our thinking you've done something to deserve me honoring that debt what did those people do to deserve Paul preaching the love of the gospel to them nothing that's the easy answer 
They had done absolutely nothing that was deserving of the debt that Paul found himself in. And yet clearly he's found himself having a debt or an obligation to preach. Why? Why? Why did he find himself indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians and the wise and the foolish? To those in Rome, to those all over the globe, to share the love of the gospel with them. Let's jump back a little further. Through whom? Talking about Jesus. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. So here we have the basis and foundation of that debt or obligation that Paul found himself owing. That debt comes from the grace and apostleship that he received from who? Jesus. That is the basis and foundation of the debt that Paul owed. It was because of the grace and apostleship that Paul had been showed, and that came from Christ. And he owed that debt to everyone else, everyone in the world. It's because Jesus has done everything for us. And we are deserving of nothing. It's a reflection of our position with Christ is actually what it is. He's done everything for us. He has done everything for us when we haven't deserved it. In fact, we have deserved the opposite, right? We... We've made a debt to be sent to eternal damnation. That's what we're owed. And if you look at the life of Paul when he said that he was indebted to those barbarians and Greeks and the foolish and wise and those in Rome, they didn't do anything to deserve that indebtedness. In fact, they had done the opposite. They had beat him. They had stoned him. Um, They had taken him captive and he was placed in prison. They had tried to kill him. Everything else was just the opposite. They had done everything to deserve his ire, to deserve harsh treatment from him. But that was not what he gave them. So we are indebted because of the grace that we've received through Jesus Christ. But there's a problem with that whole line of thinking is then we become a debtor to who? Christ, right? We become a debtor to Christ. Even though we're not debtors to each other, we become a debtor to Christ. After all, he's the one that we owe. Well, we're forgetting something. We're forgetting that we can't pay him back, folks. There's nothing that we can do in this life or the next that will ever pay him back for the debt that we owe him. Nothing that we have is valuable enough to repay Jesus. And there's also a danger here. There is a danger whenever we think of it in these terms. When we dare to attempt to pay him back, not only do we fall or will we fall dangerously short, miserably short, 
demeaning what he did for us, stealing some of that. But then it's no longer grace, right? When we feel like we owe Christ a debt and we attempt to pay it back, it stops being his grace and starts being wages that we're earning. That's the danger in it. That's the inherent danger with this idea that love is an obligation. So when we love others as an attempt to pay Christ back for loving us, then we are looking at it as if it is a wage that we are earning every day. And that is a dangerous way to be looking at it. Because it is free grace. We will never be able to pay him back, nor should we attempt to pay him back. So this is an extremely unique situation. We owe a debt to those that don't deserve it and have not earned the payment. And the pressure to pay it back or pay that debt doesn't come from the merit of those who receive it, but from the grace that has been shined upon us by Jesus Christ. So it's a very strange and unique and difficult situation to to understand. Back to verse 19, verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So all those commandments and all those nots or shall nots, are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then all those commandments, you don't have to worry about it, right? Every time we violate one of those, we are not doing the loving of each other that we should be doing. It's that simple. Anytime we do one of those and break one of those commandments, then we're not loving with a pure heart. We're not loving the way Christ has asked us to love. Now, Matthew 22, Jesus says to love your Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, everything that you are. That's the greatest command. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So he adds to I wouldn't say Jesus added to anything. I'd say Paul left out, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Let's put it that way. So Jesus said that that summed up the entire law and the prophets. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as if you love yourself or in the same manner that you love yourself. So in fact, we have sort of a pecking order that we love God and we love each other that takes care of all the commandments all of them now Romans 8 28 that we went over whenever we went over says that all things work to the good of those who love your neighbor no it's not right what is it those who love God and are called according to his purpose right so we have this idea of loving God and then all things are working together for our good So this love of our neighbor, this love of our neighbor is spillover, and I've talked about this before. It's horizontal, and it's spillover from the vertical love we have for God. It is 
spilling over to everyone else. The love that we have for God should spill over to everyone, not just those that love us, everyone. Those that we disagree with, those that have thoughts different than our thoughts, sinners and saints alike. So how does this love that we are obligated to have for everyone relate to ourselves? Love your neighbor as yourself. Self-love. I'm not going to ask who has it, because everybody be raising your hand. That's just human nature. Some of us have more than others. But I'm going to tell you that it's not as it seems to be always a bad thing. So he tells us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Let's start with the premise that everybody has a desire to be happy. Anyone disagree with that premise? Everyone has an innate desire to find happiness in some way. And that desire to be happy flows from our love of ourselves. The desire to be happy flows from our love of ourselves. Not talking about self-esteem, okay? Not talking about self-worth or self-esteem. Everyone has the desire to be happy irrespective of our self-esteem. Paul paints a beautiful portrait of self-love in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about husbands and wives. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So because the husband and wife are one flesh, the husband loves the wife as he loves his own flesh (coughs) verse 29 down there Paul says no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it now there are those that will disagree with that and I know there are moments in people's lives when they get psychologically depressed and things happen and they may take up some sort of masochistic behavior such as cutting things along those lines But I will tell you, they only do that because at the end of all of it, whether it be they feel better afterwards or whatever the case may be, they're doing it for happiness. They're doing it of a desire for some sort of relief that comes afterwards. I can't understand that. But that's the reason and basis and foundation for the reason they do that. It's some sort of pursuit that this will make them feel better after the moment. Even those that go to the extent of taking their lives, they're doing it to to get some sense of relief from whatever misery they're going through in this life. So it is that pursuit of happiness. And that comes from our own love of self. There's always an underlying love of ourselves to seek joy and to seek happiness. Paul doesn't tell us to stop loving ourselves. He doesn't tell us to stop seeking joy and happiness. And I think it's important that we know that. I I think sometimes we can see the sin that weighs us down. We can get so disgusted with ourselves that we think there's an obligation for us not to love ourselves. That's not it at all because out of that love of ourselves 
comes a desire to seek joy and happiness. God put that desire to seek joy and happiness in our lives for a reason, a very big reason, because he should be the number one desire that we seek to get that joy and happiness. So just because we seek to satisfy ourselves through joy and happiness isn't a bad thing. The bad things come where we place that desire, where we try to find the joy and happiness. That's where the bad things come into play. So he's not telling us to stop loving ourselves, just to love others. No, instead he's telling us to love others in the same way that we love ourselves. To help them seek happiness and find it in the goal that we have. That's what he's telling us to do. In the same way that we pursue our own happiness, we should zealously help and aid our neighbors in the pursuit of their happiness. If we are hungry, provide food. If we are thirsty, give them something to drink. If God's creation brings us great joy, share that creation with your neighbor. So what's the point of all this? Well, in the same manner that we pursue happiness because of the love of ourselves, we should be pursuing it for our neighbors as well. Paul tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves And Jesus tells us to love each other as he has loved us. It's not a contradiction. It's a clarification. So in this process of loving ourselves and loving each other, we aid, we pick each other up, we show them our happiness, our joy that should be found in Christ Jesus. That is the greatest gift we can give. That is the greatest gift part of loving that we can do that is loving them and each other with an eternal gift that will never disappoint will it be difficult at times sure it will but it won't steal the underlying joy that we seek because we love ourselves first peter 3 8 for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive in the spirit. So we love the way Christ loved us. Christ loved us by suffering for our sins so that what may happen? That we may be brought close to the one person that will bring us the greatest joy and the greatest happiness for all eternity. As I said, we have that innate desire or love for ourselves because we want to find what brings us joy and happiness. Don't try to put that out. Don't try to think that that's a fire that we must extinguish. God put it there for a reason. But the question is the object of that desire to find happiness and joy That object isn't in 
me and you or each other or anything as beautiful and as wonderful as it may be on this earth, that object is in Christ Jesus. We're, we're giving that desire to find happiness and joy so that we look to him and realize that he is the source of all happiness and joy and that becomes our focus. So whenever we love our neighbors as ourselves, we're helping them redirect the object of where they are finding happiness and joy, and it's not in things, it's not in people, it's not in anything that is here materially on this earth, it is in the creator of the earth. Amen? That's what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. To help enable them to find joy in Christ Jesus. To help direct this desire for happiness and joy that is within all of us to the cross. And when we can help them be directed to the cross, then they can find that joy and happiness and peace for all of eternity. Think of how drama-free and peaceful life would be now. If Christ was the foundation of our search for joy and happiness. Wow. We wouldn't be complaining all day, every day about everything. The love that we would have for each other, totally encouraging. Encouraging each other. No gossip. No, I don't like that person because they don't think like me. None of that. None of that would ever happen. That, that's how love fulfills the law. That's the way it's going to be, all right? That, that, that's a kingdom mentality. That, that's the way it will be for all eternity. But then we have a duty here on earth to, through the work of the Holy Spirit to fashion our lives in such a way that we get it as close as we possibly can to that kingdom mentality. Love our neighbors as ourselves amen let us pray most gracious god lord these verses in romans are so enlightening and at times so difficult for us to understand and father it makes perfect sense that our shortcomings stem from unpure hearts from our inability to love each other as we love ourselves Father, help us to take this up and share your joy, the happiness that comes from knowing you, and the wisdom that comes from just having a relationship with you, with everyone, not just those that love us, but those that don't. And Lord, those words are easier for me to say than to do. And Father, we just pray that your spirit would give us the courage and direction to be able to do that every day because that's exactly what you did for us help us to know and guard against this idea or sense of trying to repay you but help us just to love you and love each other may your spirit encourage us always for it is in christ's name we pray amen all rise